Weather-related accidents remain one of the most significant causes for concern in aviation safety worldwide, with up to 76% of VFR into IMC accidents involving a fatality. In Australia, that's around 10 fatal accidents a year. In this episode, I'm going to have a look at the reasons for VFR pilots getting themselves into trouble and how to avoid it in the first place. All this and more coming right up, so strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 25 of Flight Training Australia podcast, the podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. I'm your host Trent Robinson, thank you for joining me and welcome to my Patreons listening in. According to a CASA Flight Safety Magazine feature in 2006, air traffic control were called upon on average every 10 days to assist the pilot in deteriorating weather. Of the reported occurrences, around 60% were stuck above cloud and couldn't get back down. In the decade from the 1st of July in 2009 to the 30th of June in 2019, 101 VFR into IMC occurrences in Australian airspace were reported to ADSB. Of those, nine were accidents, resulting in 21 fatalities. That is about one in 10 VFR into IMC accidents in Australia, resulting in a fatal outcome. However, a 2005 ADSB research publication concluded that the chances of a VFR into IMC encounter increased as the flight progressed, with the maximum chance occurring during the final 20% of the flight distance. We all know this as get their itis. But weather alone is not the cause of these accidents. Good planning with poor execution or just simply poor planning or none at all. Personal, commercial pressures all can lead to a loss in situational awareness leading to a disastrous outcome. And it's low time pilots between 100 and 1000 hours are at the highest risk. 81% of those are private pilots, which is right about the time You're all out there trying to get experience using your license. So it's clear from this data that the more trained and experienced you are, the less likely you are to make a mistake. But don't think just because you hold a CPL or higher that that makes you immune. Some of you would have heard of the FAA study known as 178 Seconds to Live. In short, this was a test of putting VFR pilots into a simulator without any instrument training other than what they got in their initial training. The average was 178 seconds for them to lose situational awareness, spatial orientation, and lose control of the aircraft. For helicopters, it's even worse, only 56 seconds. Why? Well, helicopter training. Helicopters don't have artificial horizons, they have minimal instruments, they don't have basic IF training in the syllabus. So what leads to pilots being so disorientated when they enter weather? When we do instrument training and night training, we'll start going into things like human factors and spatial orientation, or in this case, spatial disorientation, is one of the biggest threats. Who's laid on the couch at night in the dark watching a movie and got up a little bit too quickly and lost their footing. That's your inner ear, telling your brain one thing, and your eyes not being able to verify the sensation and telling your brain, no, sorry, can't help you. 
the brain becomes disorientated and we get the tumbles, the falls, the leans, all these uh, human factors phenomenon that are out there. So understanding these features and factors are in a critical part into a pilot's training. For nighttime, we've now lost, for the most part, a good solid discernible horizon. We're flying in the dark. We can't see the ground as well. We don't have colour and shades of colour to help us determine up and down and depth perception and where things are. Instruments become a critical part of this training. However, it's still not an instrument rating. Instrument rating pilots will do up to 40 hours of instrument training in a simulator and an aircraft, either in cloud or under a hood. Controlled flight into terrain, or CFIT, refers to accidents in which there was an in-flight collision with terrain, water or obstacles without any indication of loss of control. This can happen as a result of entering cloud or even heavy rain, scud running and poor weather, sitting right on the cloud base, can even still get yourself into trouble. A couple of feet up the wrong way and you're straight into the cloud. Who's to say the cloud base is where you left it right below you? You may have seen the video online on YouTube with the Bonanza flying in formation with an L-39 Albatross jet, scud running when they suddenly entered cloud, only to have a mountain skimmed by their right wing in which they impacted the trees. It could have ended up so much worse, but instead they got away with a few minor scratches. Flying in VMC conditions can even be hazardous. What is VMC? Well, we're typically talking 5,000 metres and minimal cloud, no more than half the sky covered, below 1,500 feet. But have you actually thought about what 5,000 metres looks like? 5,000 metres is pretty much three nautical miles. Three miles is a fairly wide circuit pattern. So imagine yourself at the downwind base position, reasonably deep, and only being able to see to the centre of the runway and no further. That's VMC. It's enough to keep yourself upright, but to navigate and orientate, it can be incredibly confusing. I know from personal experience, even being a thousand air instructor, having a bushfire that cut off the entrance into Jandicott, and we needed to go in, special VFR, into the aerodrome. I didn't know where I was, even though I'd flown over that area probably a thousand times. Even in familiar areas, we can get ourselves into trouble if we're not careful. Thunderstorms and microbursts present one of the highest threats to aircraft and passenger safety. Whether you're VFR or IFR, they hurt you just the same. If anything, IFR aircraft are potentially a greater risk, especially if they're embedded and you're in cloud and you do not have the appropriate equipment on board, like accurate weather radar, and you know how to use it correctly. Signs of rain and dust movement on the ground can all be signs of high-velocity air movement and possible microbursts. You must give a wide berth to such weather, anywhere from 10 to 20 nautical miles away or more. Encountering these conditions or clear air turbulence can result in severe structural damage and serious injury to you and your passengers. So what can you do to avoid flying in poor weather and becoming a statistic? In any scenario, information is king. But where can we get information from? 
You would think that when a pilot is faced with poor weather, deteriorating weather, they would just make the logical decision to turn around and head back or divert to a nearby suitable aerodrome. The fact is, I'm talking about this right now. The accident reports and the statistics I've mentioned exist. So it's not the case. Get their itis is to human. It's a human instinct. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be late. Don't want to waste our money flying or the meeting or engagement or whatever the reason is for flying to the destination. She'll be right. It works sometimes. And if we get away with it, we'll think we'll get away with it again. And this leads to complacency, that it's always going to work. Local knowledge is one of the best tools you can have to avoid poor weather in the first place. Understanding the local seasonal weather, how it changes, the rough times of year that it changes, and how it's going to behave. This is not to necessarily get away with trying to fly in poor weather, but knowing that, hey, it's just crap and it's not going to be suitable, or, yeah, it's pretty average now, but traditionally, in about an hour or two's time, this is all going to lift and it'll be much more suitable to flying conditions. Understanding the forecasts, TAF, TAF3, GAFs, GPWTs, Meta Species, all these acronyms, all the information you need is in the regulations on the Bureau of Met website. If you don't know, go to your local flying school and ask an instructor to take you through it. Better still, spend some time doing it when your next flight review comes up. If that's a long way away, then go see an instructor now and invest in your safety. Forecasts are that. They're the best guess scenario. They're usually pretty accurate. They're based on the local weather knowledge from all the data, the seasonal data, and what's going on in the area at the time. But they can still be wrong. So use the local knowledge in conjunction with the weather forecast to help you make good decisions. And if there's any doubt, then don't go. Is it really worth the risk? What about avoiding weather on your iPad using weather radar? The thing to remember with weather radar, and I've mentioned this before, is that there is a delay in the image that appears on your screen. And that's assuming you've got a good signal in the first place. Weather radar will typically be up to 10 minutes ago. So you need to study the rate of change in the weather, how quickly it's advancing in each 10-minute block, and where it's going to be in real time. You can't separate yourself from the weather by what's on your screen because it's not where the weather actually is right now. So always remember that. Plenty of people have flown into weather trying to separate themselves off their iPad screens and given themselves a really good scare. So just use it as situational awareness, but the best way to avoid weather like that is look out the window and avoid it visually and give it a good wide berth. For thunderstorms, typically be anywhere up to 20 nautical miles away, which sounds like a lot, but even then you can still be getting turbulent conditions and clear air lightning that's well away from the main cell. How about flying on top of cloud? V 
VFR on top is perfectly fine. Positive fixes every 30 minutes or if using GPS and nav aids and are trained to do so every two hours. But how do you know you're going to get visual at the other end? Well, unless you've got some reasonably accurate weather information available, I would I would suggest that you use extreme caution so you don't end up one of the 60% stuck on top. Once you've determined your route and where you're going and had a bit of a look at the weather, if you need some more information, the Bureau of Met Service are there to help you. If you're used to looking at the old format area forecasts, there used to be a phone number for the Bureau of Met. That is now located in the bottom left corner of the graphical area forecast or the GAF. Feel free to give them a call, but don't expect them to make all the decisions for you and don't give them a call having not read the forecast. Make sure you go in informed, let them know what you're trying to do and they can give you access to some of that information that you may not yet have attained. Obviously also, they have access to all the weather data that they can give you far more accurate information than you would be able to from just trying to extrapolate from the GAF, which is covering quite a wide area. Talk to your local pilots, local flying schools, commercial pilots, people that have been around for a while. Attend CASA safety seminars who will usually have representatives from your local area who know the weather conditions, representatives from the Bureau of Met and CASA who have all got experience and will be willing to share some of their mistakes as well as good sources of information to help you with your decision weather making process. So the most important thing here is to get the information, make a decision, and then take action. And then once you've made that decision and taken the action, to continue to monitor and review your situation. So when's the time to bug out and turn around? Trust your gut. The moment your blood pressure starts to rise, the moment you start to feel uncomfortable and uneasy, this is your body telling you we're not meant to be here. Trust these instincts. It may just be because you're inexperienced. It could be your body's overreacting a little bit. Whatever the reason, this is the beginning of the Swiss cheese where we start to push Let's just see what it's like in a few more minutes. Oh, it's holding. It'll be okay. I'm so close. I'm always there. Once you've made an analysis, carry more fuel than you need. I recommend the one-up rule. Carry the fuel for your flight, your fixed reserves, and if there's no real weather around, then make sure you've got 30 minutes of reserve, what would be known as an inter. If there's an inter present, then carry tempo fuel, carry 60. If for 60 minutes, well, try and carry 60 and another 30. This isn't always practical. It's not always possible, but it's better to have the fuel on board rather than having to worry about fuel and then being forced into a precautionary search and landing because you've really got yourself in a pickle this time. In the event you do get yourself in a situation like that, don't try and sweat it out yourself ask for help. As I said earlier, there's a number of reported incidents. How many go unreported? 
Most happen outside controlled airspace, so there may not be anyone in radar contact. But if you are able to ask for help, put out the call. Get help from other pilots. Get help from air traffic control. They will know where the good weather is and be able to vector you towards it, allowing you to focus on one thing and one thing only, and that's keeping that aircraft upright and heading out of danger as soon as humanly possible. All right, so a fair bit of information there to go through. Remember, in summary, don't take off or land in the face of an approaching thunderstorm. Watch out for gusts. Analyze the ground first and make sure the weather is clear. Avoid them up to 30 miles if you have to, but 10 to 20 is usually enough. Read the forecasts. Contact the local weather station for more accurate information. And even if you can see through some weather, especially a storm, don't fly underneath it. Turbulence and wind shear from that storm can lead to an absolute disaster. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast episode. I really loving the feedback again. Thank you, everyone, for leaving those reviews on Apple Podcasts. They are climbing. Still love to try and hit that 50 mark by the end of April. So please jump on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. And if you've got it in you, leave a few kind words as well. Thank you very much. You can email me on info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au and you can also get hold of me on Instagram, on Facebook. Just search for Trent Robinson Aviation or the links are in the description below. If you're loving the content and love to see more of it, you can show me further support by joining me on Patreon. Patreon's a monthly membership contribution to help the show going and uh, support me there. There's three tiers of membership. You'll find exclusive content, early and exclusive access, and heaps more coming. You can download the app and use it just like you would Instagram or Facebook. So jump on patreon.com forward slash Flight Training Australia for more. And uh, I would love to dearly have you on board and supporting me. Until next week, blue skies and remember the golden rule, aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone.